and welcome to the Westside Church's special Monday Morning Coffee Podcast. On this podcast, our preacher, Mark Roberts, will help you get your week started right with a look back at yesterday's sermon so that we can think through it further and better work the applications into our daily lives. Mark will then look forward into this week's Bible reading so that we can know what to expect and watch for. And he may have some extra bonus thoughts from time to time. So grab a cup of coffee as we start the week together on Monday Morning Coffee with Mark. Good morning, good morning. Welcome to the Monday Morning Coffee podcast for July 19th. I'm Mark, and I'm glad to welcome you back to the podcast this morning. This is the podcast all about starting the week with a look back at yesterday's sermon, plus a look forward to our Bible reading for the week so that we can carry all that momentum from serving God and worshiping God on Sunday right into the beginning of our week. I am, of course, doing all of this with a great cup of coffee in my hand. In fact, this is a delicious latte that I just made. So let's get ready. Let's get cranking. Let's do this. Let's start with a look back at yesterday's sermon in the 1040 Worship Hour. I preached on the Sermon on the Mount. That's the preaching theme for the year. I am preaching through the Sermon on the Mount this year. In fact, I've already in some ways treated this material because Matthew 6, 1 to 18 deals with practicing righteousness. And I preached through that material last month. But when I got to the Lord's Prayer beginning verse 9, I just had to say to folks, there's no possible way that I can treat the Lord's Prayer appropriately in the middle of doing all these other verses as well. So I asked for a pass, I asked for grace, and people were very kind about that. So I gave this sermon this month in July entirely to the Lord's Prayer. And we just talked about the spiritual priorities of the prayer, its simplicity, its directness, its compactness, all of those things give the prayer tremendous power. And I would add a couple of quick notes here. You can't say everything in the pulpit. The sermon would just go on and on forever, and people would eventually get pretty hungry, I think. So you can't say everything, but let me just give you a note or two here that will help you as you think more about the Lord's Prayer. In verse 11, Jesus says, Give us this day our daily bread. And Brother Paul Earnhardt, who's done a ton of great writing on the Sermon on the Mount, he noted the inclusion of this brief petition demonstrates there is no matter so small that we we may not with confidence bring it to our Father. Isn't that so? That's just wonderful. If we can ask the Lord about daily bread, we can talk to God about anything. And then I did want to give you an additional note. At the end of verse 13, uh, lead us not into temptation, now the end of verse 13, but deliver us from evil. I really believe, as I said yesterday, that these are parallel expressions and that they are talking about our desire, our request of God, that we not be in circumstances where the devil is going to put temptation in front of us. We want to be delivered from evil. And, and one writer said this, the use of the verb deliver, and here really it's not deliver us from evil, it's deliver us from the evil one. And so let me go on with the quotation then. The use of the verb deliver in 613 implies the helplessness of the disciple apart from God's intervention. The disciple does not pray that God will assist him in battling the evil one. The disciple is so weak he is little match for the devil. He needs a savior not an assistant. He needs a hero, not a helper. I think that's just exactly right and exactly what that prayer 
is all about. So as we got down to the application part of that sermon, there were some mores to be more thoughtful in who we are praying to, to be more spiritually focused, to reflect the priorities of God and God's kingdom. And then to pray this prayer more simply. It's just tight and compact and short and sometimes we seem to buy into the thinking that the Lord hears us for our many words. And Jesus has expressly said, verse 7, that that's not the case at all. Just say less, because in some ways saying less is saying an awful lot more. If, and this is the last more from yesterday, more often if we would use this prayer. This prayer can be our prayer. And we've reacted against the use of the Lord's Prayer in, I think, We've seen it used mindlessly and just chanted, and that's not right, and that can't be right, but somehow that's driven us to a place where we just don't use it at all, and it is such a marvelous prayer that if we will pray it thoughtfully and with intent, it can genuinely help our prayer life, and that would be the hope from that sermon, and as you're carrying that into today, I hope that you'll be thinking of using the Lord's Prayer several times today. It's very short. And most of us have it memorized. Just stop what you're doing and say this prayer meaningfully as many times as you can today. It'll recenter you. I'm going to conclude with a wonderful quotation from John Stott. He's an excellent commentator and scholar. He says about the Lord's Prayer, We are constantly under pressure to conform to the self-centeredness of secular culture. When that happens, we become concerned about our own little name, liking to see it embossed on notepaper or hitting the headlines in the press. We are concerned about our own little empire, bossing and influencing and manipulating people to boost our ego, and about our own silly little will, always wanting our own way, getting upset when it's frustrated. But in the Christian counterculture, our top priority and concern is not our name, our kingdom, and our will, but God's. Whether we can pray these petitions with integrity is a searching test of the reality and depth of our discipleship. Amen and amen. May this prayer help you today to be a better citizen of the kingdom of heaven. Now let's give some thought to our scripture reading that we'll be doing each day this week. reading for this week will be in John chapter 9 and 10. And all this material goes together because it all flows out of what we read on Friday where Jesus heals the man who was born blind. A key part of that is verse 14. It was the Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. There's a lot of speculation about why Jesus anointed the man's eyes with mud. And I think the best possible explanation for that is that rabbinical tradition said that you could not need like knead dough or dig on the Sabbath day. And I think Jesus kneaded the ground and applied that to his eyes to deliberately violate the rabbinical traditions. Now, that's not a violation of God's law, of course. Jesus never did that. But I think Jesus here is sparking a showdown with the religious leaders, and that's exactly what Jesus gets. These people are incensed that Jesus has violated their rules and regulations. There's a great lesson in that, in that when we add to God's word our man-made ideas, inevitably we're going to end up 
crosswise with what God wants to do because now we're imposing our rules on God. And that's what happens here in John chapter 9 as continually these Pharisees pound away that there's no way Jesus can possibly be from God. And it'll be very helpful to you in your Bible reading. I'm going to read in John 9 both Monday and Tuesday. If you'll just track out all the things that they say about Jesus, just track out their stubborn unbelief. I think I may even use the term unfaith because I think that very well describes what they have. They have unfaith. They are unwilling to believe in Jesus no matter what. No one ever seems to stop and say, hey, a miracle happened here. All they can think about is their rules and their regulations and that Jesus has violated the rabbinical traditions. In fact, in verse 28, they say, you are his disciple. We are disciples of Moses. Oh, see, we're getting it right. What great applications and lessons await us here if we'll take this into our hearts. And just as we're tracking out their determination not to believe, you'll do well to underline in your Bible or make notes of the blind man's growing faith in Christ. He begins by saying, I don't know who this man is. I just know, verse 11, that he is called Jesus. And then in verse 17, he says, he is a prophet. And just keep going from there in your daily Bible reading and note what he continues to think and to say about Jesus as his faith grows until we get to the end of chapter 9 and Jesus meets with him again and he says, Lord, I believe, verse 38, and he worshiped him. It's a great story set against the backdrop of such miserable failure to believe in Jesus. And that failure continues into chapter 10. I can't emphasize enough how much we need to hold chapter 10 with chapter 9. Notice in your Bible in chapter 10 verse 21, others said, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? See how this is still working? That's still what's going on. In fact, at the end of chapter 9 verse 41, Jesus says to these Pharisees, if you were blind, you'd have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. Jesus says you're blind. And then he goes on 10.1 to say, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another way, that man's a thief and a robber. Who's he talking about? Yes! He's talking about those Pharisees. That's who he's talking about. You religious leaders have completely failed the people. You deliberately choose not to believe in God's sent Messiah. You are the thief and the robber. In fact, if you will read before you read John 10, in Ezekiel 34, read the first 10 verses, you will be reading the Old Testament passage that is the background for what Jesus says about being the good shepherd here. And that talks about thieves and robbers and those who exploit the flock for their own gain. Remember, in Jesus' day, nobody, I shouldn't say nobody, most people don't have a Bible in their back pocket. I guess the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts 8, he's got a Bible, doesn't he? But not everybody's got their own Bible. So this is a very oral culture. People memorize scripture. They heard the scripture read in the synagogue on the Sabbath. It's very important to try to take the word of God into your heart, try to memorize it and know it. And when Jesus uses the phrasing from Ezekiel 34, those people knew the text. They knew the context of what Ezekiel was talking about there. They could make that application to their religious leaders, which is exactly what Jesus wants them to do. Jesus says, his sheep will know his voice. What an important idea, verse 3. What do sheep need to do? They need to be listening for the shepherd. Because in Jesus' culture, flocks were small. We're not talking about a shepherd here with 10,000 head of sheep. We're talking about a, a personal flock. 
a small flock, all the flock, all the sheep were put together in a community sheepfold. And in the morning, the shepherds would come and stand at the gate and they would call their sheep out by name. And to you and me, not familiar with sheeps, is that even a word, sheeps? We're not familiar with the ways of shepherding. It would all look the same to us. Just a whole mass of sheep in this corral. And that shepherd would step up. There's several men who have written about this and it's just amazing, they say, to watch. And the shepherd calls his 10 or 15 sheep by name and they emerge out of that flock and follow him. What a great lesson to us and the noise and confusion of our world, all the false teaching that's going on. My job is to listen for my shepherd, to listen for Jesus. So let me end with some quick notes for the reading on Thursday and Friday. 1022 says at that time the Feast of Dedication took place in Jerusalem. This would be winter. This is the feast now known as Hanukkah. And in the middle of all of that that's going on, there's just giant controversy. The Jews, verse 31, end up trying to stone Jesus. And Jesus says something that's very puzzling for us. Verse 34, Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law, I said, you are gods? If he called them gods to whom the word of God came, and scripture can't be broken, do you say of him whom the Father consecrated and sent into the world, you are blaspheming? Because I said, I am the Son of God? Well, that really runs off the rails for us. We're not comfortable with the plurality of gods because there's one God. So what is Jesus saying here? And what does he mean when he says, is it not written in your law? I mean, that can't be in the Bible, can it? Well, actually, of course, it is in the Bible. Jesus would never be wrong about something like that. It's Psalm 82 that the quotation comes from. And that's a difficult passage to work all that out. It's probably beyond the scope of this podcast. But I would say this. I want you to focus in verse 35, if he called them gods to whom the word of God came. The rabbis of Jesus' day held that when Israel received the word of God, they were, in a sense, becoming like God to the world. Remember when Moses is at the burning bush and he's making all kinds of excuses. Finally, he says, you know, I just don't talk that well. Lord, I just, I'm not very good at speaking. And God says, all right, I'm going to give you Aaron and I'll speak to you, and you'll speak to Aaron, and you'll become like God to him. Maybe that helps us think about this a little bit. As Israel was thought about as being the people of God sent to the world, and there was a special emphasis that if we keep the law, we're beyond death. See, that's like God. We become like God in that way because we have received the law of God, and we're able to go beyond death in a sense in that kind of fashion. So the emphasis here is that God made Israel like God by giving them the law. Israel didn't do that. God did that. And one of the questions that they're asking Jesus here is, who do you make yourself out to be? Just who do you think you are? Who is it, verse 33, is it not for good work that we're going to stone you, but because you being a man make yourself God? Jesus says, nope, I don't make myself anything. God sent me. Just like Israel didn't make itself into a holy nation, God gave them the law. That's what made them like God to the rest of the world. And Israel sent in the same way that Jesus is sent. I don't make myself God. God sent me here to you and to this world. And so, verse 37, if I'm not doing the works of my Father, don't believe me. But if I do them, even though you don't believe me, believe in the works that you may know and understand the Father is in me and I am in the Father. So, Jesus didn't come here and make himself into something. No, he was sent here 
as the Messiah. And that's the fundamental point that they are missing. That is not the easiest text for us to understand, particularly, I think our background in Psalm 82 is probably not really strong. And then we have to think some about what they were working with and what they were thinking about in the 82nd Psalm as well. But this is an attack on Jesus, and what Jesus is saying fundamentally is that God's evaluation of Jesus radically differs from what the religious leaders saw in him. Unfortunately, there is stubborn unbelief, unfaith still, and so they attempt, verse 39, to arrest Jesus, but they will be unsuccessful in doing so. There is one final chapter to be played out in this before it all comes to a head, and of course that'll be when Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. That's next week's reading. I don't want to get ahead of myself. Hope these notes will help you in your reading to stay in the context text, understand what the text is doing, what's going on here so that you can make sense of our daily Bible reading this week. Well, thank you for listening. If you love the Monday Morning Coffee podcast, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and give a review on iTunes or whatever podcast app you're listening on. Or if you'll simply tell a friend about the show, that would really help out. I think if you have someone who's trying to read the Bible, maybe giving them this daily Bible reading schedule that we're using, spending the year with Jesus, and encouraging them to listen to this podcast might really give somebody the kind of information they need to take full advantage of daily Bible reading. So thanks for listening, and until next time, may your coffee be delightful, your Monday be short, and may the Lord be with you today, all day. See you next week. Thanks for listening to the Westside Church of Christ podcast, Monday Morning Coffee with Mark. For more information about Westside, you can connect with us through our website, justchristians.com, and our Facebook page. Our music is from Upbeat.io. That's Upbeat with two P's, U-P-P-B-E-A-T, where creators can get free music. Please share our podcast with others, and we look forward to seeing you again, with a cup of coffee, of course, on next Monday.